Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. All right, I'd like you to get your Bibles out today. Turn them to the book of 2 Chronicles in chapter 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. In this passage, we come to a spot in the Bible where uh, kings, uh, the king is now Solomon, who's taken David's place. And uh, Solomon has spent, uh, by the time we get to chapter 5, Solomon has spent seven years, now think about this, seven years with a crew of over 150,000 workers. You just can't even, you know, when you think about the, uh, the temple, it, I mean, it was a big building. It was, uh, I don't even know, honestly, if it would have been bigger than this building, but uh, I don't think much bigger than this building. And in those days, of course, being done with stone and cedar timbers and cedar planking and that all of that without any kind of tools, it became quite a monumental task. And uh, some of the stones that were used were... were it's amazing how they moved that stuff. It just there was so much uh, amazing engineering, uh, considering they had no no help from any motors of any sort. But anyway, uh, Solomon had vast amounts of wealth by then. He had alliances with other kings, and finally the temple is finished, and uh, they dedicate the temple by having this incredible worship service. And so we're going to pick up this the idea of this worship service that they're having in. Verse 11, it says, Then the priests withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. And all the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jejuthun, and their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeteers... And uh, or trumpeters, sorry, and singers, trumpeters, where'd that come from? Anyway, trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. Singing that, that phrase, that, that refrain, fi- finds itself in many, many different places in the Old Testament. The goodness of our God, the greatness of our God, it's amazing. And then it says, uh, when, they, when they had sung that, then the temple of the Lord, listen to this part, was filled with a cloud. And it says, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. They had to stop what they were doing. You know, you think about it, they were trying to do all this stuff for God, and then God just makes it so all they can do, you probably couldn't even see each other. It was just, just you and God at that moment, right? The music had to stop. You couldn't see the conductor anymore. You know what I'm saying? It just became this holy moment where there's nothing but God's presence in that room. And it says, the glory of God had filled the temple of God. Wow. Wow. My title today is getting ready for the presence. And uh, may God help us as we get into this to desire this in our own hearts for a manifest presence of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together today. We've already worshipped and sung in one voice. We use different instruments than they did, but, but Lord, it's our heart is just the same to, to just call upon you, to worship you, to sing and speak of your goodness among us, for your love endures forever. And we thank you for all that. Thank you for your church gathered today. May we just kind of pick up today what you want us to, what you are laying down, Lord, and then God help us to go forth with a refound and refreshed focus on worship in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, last week I talked about uh, going into the Thanksgiving. By the way, how was your Thanksgiving? 
Y'all good? I talked to several of you, and I was glad to hear that things went well for the most part. And, uh, but I talked last week about how the Thanksgiving meal takes so much to prepare for. Remember this? And we, we talked about how it takes, you know, Rhonda would get up for hours ahead of time, and she did again, this time working so hard. And then, as I predicted, I think I spent well over an hour cleaning up afterwards. It was a, quite a monumental mess. And, and just as soon as you start cleaning, you know, with all these grandkids around, there's just more that keeps coming. It's a, it's a never-ending stream. I think I did three loads in the dishwasher on Thursday. I'm not even joking. And so, uh, of course, they always, when they come to Papa's house, there's always waffles for breakfast. So that was one whole load, just feeding everybody waffles and bacon, of course, for, for breakfast, right? But, uh, but it's funny because, you know, you just love all those little grandkids, and I'm making waffles, and one of them says, I don't want waffles, I want pancakes. And so, and the moms and dads were saying, no, 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 and I'm going, no, no, I'm going to make pancakes too. So I'm making waffles, I'm making pancakes. For the kids that don't like bacon, which is weird for me, I made sausage, and they liked that, so we had, you know, we had quite a big smorgasbord for breakfast, and, but then all the works, you know, really are underway already for the Thanksgiving meal, and, and then I made uh, light of the fact, but it's true that it only took us about, and it was true again this year, about 20 minutes or so, <laughs> you know, just looked like a bunch of ravenous wolves tearing at a carcass, and then it was done, <laughs> and then you start to clean up. So now we move into December. Today is December 1st, in case you didn't catch that. And, uh, and now it's a whole thing of like every moment this month that's extra is spent on, on shopping and decorating and preparing. And, and by the way, thank you to the youth who showed up this last Wednesday uh, to decorate our tree and the tree downstairs and put up our trees in the back. And if you don't think there's enough Christmas decorations here, come and see me. I have a job for you. So anyway... Um, but that's what we did on Wednesday, and who knows, we may do more. But, uh, but anyway, so it's, we're, you know, there's, they're sending gifts, they're sending cards, they're sending, uh, just connecting with people. There's a flurry of activity leading up to December 25th. And then Christmas morning, I don't know if you opened gifts on the night before, but, you know, people who are really spiritual wait till the morning, and they have patience, because that's <laughs> fruit of the Spirit. We, uh, we... We always let our kids open one gift that would be fun on Christmas Eve to make that a fun night for them. But we wait. That's our tradition. Anyway, I'm, I'm just joking. You can open them whenever you want. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so but, but that, that moment comes when you open your gifts and you, everything you've worked up for for this entire month now, really all year, is now going to take place. And, and in our house, we kind of go around the circle and, and this person opens and then you just work your way around. And, and, uh, and, and that's how we do it. And, and pretty much that whole activity takes about 20 minutes. <laughs> you know? so, so comparing Thanksgiving to Christmas, Thanksgiving, we've spent a whole day you know, getting ready for a 20-minute flurry. And now we're spending at least a month and some, in some ways a whole year toward a 20-minute flurry of activity. But I'm going to tell you that all of this is really worth it. And, and you know, like for, for me on Thanksgiving, I'll just show you a picture of our Thanksgiving. This was my view uh, of our Thanksgiving this year. That's our great family and our clan. The, the, sorry about the fisheye lens. That makes everybody look uh, bigger than they are, and that just isn't true. But, but anyway, just, just all the little grandkids, little Evie over there with a little rainbow on her shirt. Do you see her? She's so cute. And, you know, and as I sit there at that meal and you think about all the work that goes into it, it's a moment like that that you go, it's worth it. It's so worth it. All the preparation is worth it. And the same thing's going to happen at some point around Christmas time. And I'll probably take another picture and it'll be so worth it because that is what, to me, it's all about. It's just being together with family and that sort of thing. 
My point is in all of that that the, the, the preparation is always worth what happens in that moment, in that moment. It's the delight of the children and the grandchildren's faces as they, as they open the gifts. It's priceless. It's wonderful. We love that. We are, we're talking about preparing for Christmas. Preparing, in some ways, it's the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, of, of Christmas. But I, today I want to talk to you about preparing for the presence of Jesus Christ among us. You know what I'm saying? This is a powerful thing that we can prepare for in our hearts. What does that look like? And I believe, this is the way I've taught it for years, but I believe that the Bible teaches three levels or manifestations, if you will, of the presence of God. And when I use levels, I'm not saying that one is higher than the other. They all have their own distinct purpose and, and, and that that's incredible. But, but, uh, but here's how I describe them, and I'm going to go through all three of these in just a moment here. Uh, God's awesome presence, his abiding presence, and his amazing presence. And so the last one is the one that we're going to get to in a moment that talks about what Solomon experienced when the Lord showed up tangibly in a room full of people that were worshiping him. That's what we're aiming toward. But let me get to that in just a moment. Let's start with God's awesome presence. How many believe, like me, the word awesome has been kind of uh, just cheapened by uh, our, our culture? <laughs> you know, it's used for everything. You just, oh, that's awesome. You know, it's just, everything's awesome. In fact, the Lego movie will tell you everything is awesome, you know. <laughs> And they wear you out, and then they sing it. Then they do another song in their new one that this song's going to get stuck inside your head like the first one did, and it sure does. So, uh, only only parents or grandparents that have little kids around will know what I'm talking about here. But but uh, but this you know everything we think everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. But but the word awesome starts with the word awe, which is connected with the word awful. Now, now, the word awful doesn't mean, I think a lot of times we think, oh, that's awful. But the word awful really is more connected to full of awe, okay? That there's a way we can describe God and understand God. And this is what it means when it talks about the fear of the Lord. The, the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, the Greek word for fear is phobos, which is where we get the word phobia, okay? And some people say, well, you know, it just means respect God. Yeah, it does, but <laughs> he is like, I'm not saying he's unapproachable. He is very approachable. But you also, we, we need to have both of these things in our hearts at the same time. God is an approachable, loving father, but at the same time, he is God. He is holy. He is awful in the full of awe sense of it. Okay? Nahum uh, 1.5 says, The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. Just think about that. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. And then in the New Testament in Revelation, we read that the earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. That's the God who loves us and lives inside us. Okay? So, so we got to get this, this paradox of, of, of the fear of God and understanding what that means and also the love of God and understanding what that means. And these both coexist in our hearts in a beautiful and powerful way. In Jesus' name, they do. The, the, this is, so there's great reason to be in awe of God, the awesome presence of God. This first level is God's, God's, uh, the idea that God is everywhere. Let's put it that way. God is everywhere. In Psalm uh, 139, verses 7 and 8, David writes, Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And so the answer to this question that David asks is rhetorical. The answer is, of course, there's nowhere we can flee from his presence. God is everywhere. He's everywhere. 
okay? And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you go. We've had uh, men on the moon, and God was there, I believe, with them wherever they went. Do you understand? There's nowhere that we could go from God's presence at all. Nowhere. Nowhere we can go where God is not there. And so David continues to make that point in the psalm. He says, if I, if I uh, he talks about if I rise up or sit down, okay? If, if it's in the middle of the night or at the noonday sun, from the moment I was conceived in my mother's womb and beyond, you are there is what David says. And so we understand that. I, uh, I just want to uh, maybe take a little bit of a tangent here, if I may, that, that sort of relates to my point, and it's just, uh, I don't know, just bear with me for a moment, but... but Sometimes uh, parents wonder what they should tell their kids about Santa Claus, okay? So I'm just going to get real practical about something for a moment here. And honestly, when Ron and I first started having children, honestly, I was very cautious about that subject. I had heard some people say some things that made it sound like um, that depending on uh, how you viewed it and what you did with your kids, that you could really mess them up for life because, you know, I don't know if you know what I'm talking I'm trying to be like not a spoiler alert here because I'm not sure if there's any kids that age in the room here. But anyway, you know what I'm saying, right? And so, so we kind of got fed this stuff when we were younger at times. And so there was sort of like a move against all that Santa stuff. And, um, and so I just had heard all that and I kind of bought into it a little bit. And, and so, but then, um, th- then as we started having kids and they got a little bit older, I began to see the joy in storytelling and pretend and make believe. And that that, that, could, that, that that didn't replace God for me, but it was something we could do here that was something fun for the kids that didn't have to spoil Christmas for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and so, so uh, anyway, what we learned to do, though, and here's what I think is very important about all this, is as parents, you know, we, we tend to emphasize this so much that the kids lose the fact that this is really what it's all about. You know, and, and that Jesus is what it's all about. Jesus, as they say, is the reason for the season. And he's the one who should get the most. And he's the one responsible for the fact that we're getting gifts to begin with, right? I mean, I, you know, whether they come from Santa or dad or mom or grandma or grandpa, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the one to be praised for every good thing that comes from us. So, so you're tracking with me here? So, so the re, the, we made sure our kids knew the reason for all the good things we have in our life and all the gifts is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So as far as Santa goes, when we were little, we had some fun with them, and that went for the tooth fairy too. Whether you agree with me is up to you. But anyway, but, but here's why I bring this up is because I, I think about it, and this is my, maybe my opinion, uh, but I think where did the whole idea of, of, of St. Nick come from? And I believe it comes from a people who had a desire and a, and a hope for a, for, for a being, if you will, or a person out there who is like a father figure in their life, a good father figure. Tracking with me? And who's benevolent. He's happy. He's jolly, right? He's all-knowing. Do you understand? He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. So you catch what I'm saying? You see, and so, so, and so, but God, our Father, is all those things and more. And yet the devil has corrupted the minds of people on this planet to make them think God doesn't love them at all. God doesn't care about them at all. And so Santa becomes some kind of a substitute for God. Right? Tracking with me? And that's not, that's not the God we love and serve, is it? So, so the world doesn't accept God and creates this substitute, but we 
we do believe in the Lord, and so we make sure that we uh, make sure that everybody knows that that's the reason for this season, for sure. So these are the, these are true of God. The, the, all this goodness and all this uh, benevolence and all this knowing that God has is all true because He is omnipresent and all-knowing. It is God we're talking about. And so this encourages us to know, understand that He is everywhere at once. He's always around us. Every, every person on the planet experiences what I'm talking about because his, this level of His presence is for the same for everyone in this dimension of His presence. And so, but for us as believers, this encourages us all to walk before the Lord with holiness and reverence and accountability, Right? Because we understand God is present everywhere. We, don't, we, we can't walk out of church and think, okay, I did my God thing. Now I'm going to go do my, my whatever I want thing, my life, my life, my way. You understand? Because God's there. So it speaks to us, this, uh, this awesome presence of God. It, it speaks to us that, that He is everywhere. But here's this second level now. This is God's abiding presence. Uh, the, abiding means it with us. This is, we always wonder, why do we sing songs about a guy named Emmanuel around Christmas time, right? Is that ever like, what, is, what, what are we talking about there? Well, it's predicted in the Old Testament that, that, that the son who would be born in Isaiah uh, 7, 9, it says that, the, that he would be called Emmanuel. That wasn't going to be his name. His name ends up being Jesus, and Christ is a title. It's not, his, it's not a name, it's a title. It means the Messiah, Okay, so Jesus, the Messiah, is what, what we called him, but, but this name Emmanuel shows up in the Old Testament and then again in the New, because he's to be called Emmanuel, which in the Hebrew means God with us, God with us. And so, so now, do we take this a step further with the presence of God? It, not only is he all around us, but now he's with us. Jesus promised to never leave us or never forsake us. In, in, and he also said, I'm with you always, to the end of the earth, to the end of the age. Not every person, listen, on this planet can claim this beautiful promise from God that I just described to you. Only those who have accepted Jesus as Savior can claim this God with us because he's, he's now within us even. And, and, and I think, again, there's a desire within each of us to, to, for closeness and intimacy with God. He, he made us that way, to be in relationship with him. And, and this gets suppressed. Going back to this idea of Santa, there's another legacy that he has around Christmas time is he shows up in malls and department stores, right? <laughs> and, uh, and kids line up to do what with Santa? What do they want to do? They want to sit on Santa's lap, right? And I love this. I read this uh, recently. One little girl climbed into Santa's lap, and, and he asked the usual question, and what would you like for Christmas? And she stared up him open-mouthed, horrified for a moment, and said, didn't you get my text? So, but listen, isn't it true that every child from the moment of birth, unless there's something desperately wrong with that child, but, but I think in, in, in almost every case, desires to be held, right? Desires to be held. I read this incredible story some time ago, and uh, it, it's so touching, but it was back during World War II, uh, four young American soldiers had been on the front lines of the battle, and they were sent uh, back away from the fighting to a small French village, and 
They were going to take a little time for some R&R. And when they arrived in the village, they suddenly realized it was Christmas Eve. And they began to discuss how they would like to spend their Christmas together. They, they thought about it, and one of them said, you know, as we were coming into town earlier today, I noticed there was an orphanage there as we passed on the outskirts of the village. Why don't we go there in the morning and take some Christmas joy to those children? And so the others liked the idea, and so they spent the evening getting out all, whatever they could. They bought all kinds of toys and candy and clothing and food and books and games and early the next morning they showed up at this orphanage and with all these wonderful presents for the children that were there and the orphanage director was so pleased as you might imagine oftentimes especially in those days there was so little for them and so the children are delighted they opened all their gifts and all the children that is except for one little girl she was about five or six years old and and her face looked very very sad and so one of the american soldiers went over to this little girl and uh and he said you know, he began to talk to her, and at first he talked to the orphanage director and asked about her. He said, oh, oh, bless that little child's heart. She, she, we got her last week. Both of her parents were just killed this last week in a car wreck, and there was no one to take her in, so we brought her here. So the soldier went over to the little girl, and he said to her, hey, it's Christmas morning, and we have all these wonderful Christmas presents here, toys and clothes, candy, he talked about it all, and he said, what do you want most for Christmas? And her simple response was, I want somebody to hold me. I want somebody to hold me. Because that's just innate in a child, isn't it? To desire to be held and to, and to need holding and touch at that age, especially. We all need that, truly. And by the way, we hug a lot here at church. And, and if you're offended by hugging, please forgive us. We, we don't mean to hurt you. Just, you know, you can always do this and we'll be okay with that. But, but, but there's something about human touch, right? Because we're the hands and feet of Jesus, and it's, it's just good to, you know, appropriate hugging is always good. I don't need to explain appropriate hugging, do I? Okay. So if you're hugging a female, be appropriate, men, right? If you're a girl, a woman, and you're hugging a man, be appropriate about that. But we can embrace one another. I believe that was the essence of what the Bible says when it said, greet each other with a holy kiss. You don't want me to take it literally, do you? Okay. So... <laughs> But that's really what, what the, the concept was in their culture. Of course, it was that kiss on the side of the face where you probably don't really, you know, you just beside them kissing. That was how they embraced each other in that culture. Some cultures still do that today, right? Okay. Our culture is more just hugs or handshakes, but it, that's how we greet each other. That's how we embrace each other. And it's all good. We need that. But, but here's, here's what I want to say about all that. When we've given God access to us, uh, He gives us access to Him. All right, And we can come boldly to him as believers, and we can expect to experience this level of God's presence where we can be, I like to picture it like it says, come boldly to the throne of grace. I picture God on a throne, and I picture me as a child just coming into his presence and just sitting on his lap. And just hold me, Father. Right? Okay, And I think that that's what I'm talking about today. So we have this overarching presence of God that's everywhere in the universe, but we also have now this abiding presence of God where He is with us in a sense that He's in us everywhere we go, but we can also have access to be right with Him, to be held by Him. It's so beautiful. Amen? Well, what that's leading us to is this final one, which is God's amazing presence. This is a special presence of the Lord that comes, I believe, as a result 
uh, primarily of worship, and it's usually public worship. Now, I believe it could happen in private, but it's usually when people are worshiping together, and that's the essence of what, what Jesus was trying to say in Matthew 18, 20, where he says, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Well, if, we're all, if he's already in us, obviously he's with us. So what does he mean when he says, where two or three coming? He's saying there's something different about how my presence will be among you than it is with you individually. And that's what we're after in this moment, is to understand that when we come together as the people of God, we're going to experience His presence together in a manifest and glorious way. We want that. Amen? So, so there's a fairly new song, and in fact, we're going to sing this song at the end of our service today, but it's a fairly new song that, like other songs, I, I, I listen for doctrine in songs. I want to make sure the doctrine is right. Sometimes we've changed the word, which, is, which you're not supposed to do, change uh, uh, an artist. Uh, songs, but sometimes I've had to change them because the wording isn't quite right scripturally. Or, or other times we just won't do a song because it just isn't speaking the word of God. And that, that takes primacy over this, right? I don't care how catchy the lyrics are. If it's not true, we can't sing it. Well, this song starts out, and as soon as I heard it, I thought, mm, I don't know about that, because let me explain. And we're going to sing it here. It's called Here Again. And it says, in the song, it says, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Now, isn't that beautiful? Right? No, don't be afraid. I'm not trying to trick you. It's a beautiful refrain. It's a beautiful thought. But here's where we have to think this through. If that means for you and me that we think God is out there someplace, that he's distant, that he's away from us, and only if we really, really desire it and we sing a song together that maybe God will come and be with us again, that's not right. Because I just explained, He's abiding with us. He's in us. When you walked in the door, Jesus came in with you. Do you understand when everybody leaves this building, God's not in this building? Other than that first level of the presence of God because He's everywhere. But, but in that sense, He's not in this In the second sense, He's not in this room. Because He doesn't. it even says in the Bible, God doesn't dwell in houses made of stone. He dwells in human hearts. So, so, so now what we're dealing with here is God's presence in a, in a profound new way. But, but he says, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? And we, we think, okay, God, you can't think God's distant. He's here. What is the author trying to say? And if we keep going with this and if we understand it, and actually as you get into the bridge, it says this, listen, not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. And and uh, not for a minute was I forsaken. He will never leave us or forsake us. So, so I, I believe, this is the way I'm interpreting the song, and I hope it's the way the author meant it, but let's all decide that this is the way we're going to believe it when we sing it here at Praise Center. Is What we're talking about is this third level of the presence of God when we say, I'm not enough unless you come. Maybe we should just change it to say, we're not enough. Okay, because we, let's do that at the end. Can we just do that? We'll just decide. We'll sing it that way, at least for today. It's, it's okay otherwise, but I'm just saying. But we're not enough together unless we can open up into this third level of the presence of God, this manifest presence of God, what Solomon worked so hard for and for those years and they prepared for with worship. And then the Lord showed up. And Lord, we want you in this place like that when we're gathered. That's what we're saying. That's what we're asking God to do. And we know, listen, don't ever lose uh, sight of the fact that He is with you wherever you go. But there's something God wants to do when we come together, something powerful when, he, when two or three are gathered in His name. He even says regarding prayer, if two or three of you agree about something, I'll do it for you. 
So there's something about being together that is so powerful and so profound. It's so profound. Jack Hayford says that worship brings ever-deepening and expanding dimensions of God at work in our world. Worship, in a very real sense of the word, opens a doorway to the power of his presence, confounding dark powers and overthrowing sin's destructive operations. So what he's saying is it goes much further than just a a feel-good moment in the Lord. It's at the same time when we're experiencing God's presence in worship, we're also busting down the gates of hell around us in our community, in our city, in our lives, in our families. We're busting down those things that would prevent us from the experience that God wants us to have in day-to-day life. Going back to the first verse we read today, the critical thing to note about the presence of God, again, in Solomon's time, is they prepared for it. They took, in their case, it took years. I don't believe it's going to take years for us. But could we just begin, could we start to be the kind of people that are worshiping God all through our week and so that when we come on Sundays, we are not waiting for a refill of our tank, but we are already overflowing with the presence of God in our individual and personal lives so that when we come together, we're like... Boom, now it's going to fill the place, right? Okay, that's what I'm trying to get at here today. And so, but Solomon prepared and he prepared. They took seven years to do what what in the physical sense happened for them for one day. And if you ask them, was, was that one day when the manifest, when the glory filled, was that worth those seven years? What do you think they would have said? Absolutely, that's what we did it for. We wanted nothing less. I want to, I want my iPad to work. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> it suddenly went blank. I thought, how am I going to get through that? Okay. I want to just show you something from the Gospel of Luke. And um, Luke's Gospel in the first two chapters has probably the most detailed uh, Christmas story there is. But I just want to, I'm going to go through several scriptures, all from, from, just kind of in order from the book of Luke. Let me just ask you to look at, and I think it'll be relatively obvious, but look for the common thread in everything I'm about to read to you. Luke 1.10 says, and the time came for the burning, when the time came for the burning of incense, I didn't say that right, when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then Luke 1, 46 through 47, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then Luke 1.64, immediately his mouth, this is speaking of Zechariah, his mouth was uh, open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. And then in Luke 1.68, this is Zechariah's song, part of it. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. And then, of course, when the angels show up in the, in the field with the shepherds and the glory of God shines all around, Luke 2, 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And then the shepherds returned, it says in Luke 2, 20, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Then after the birth of Christ, they take him to the temple. An old man by the name of Simeon, who always stayed at the temple, Luke 2, 28, he took him in his arms and he praised God. And then finally in Luke 2, 37 through 38, a woman named Anna, who was very much the same as Simeon, an older woman who lived at the temple all the time. It says she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child 
to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, what is the common thread in the whole Christmas story? Do you catching it? It's worship, it's praise, it's, it's loving God. It's wor- and I want you to see that this worship is, brings the presence of God, in this case, in a literal way. It brought God with us to this planet. <laughs> it brought, the, the atmosphere of worship surrounded previous to and during, and immediately after, it was all around the birth of Christ coming into this world in a very literal way. In these two chapters, there are at least ten different words or forms of words in the original language that mean praise, worship, glory, giving thanks. Ten different words the author is using to say this was a glorious moment. (laughs) There is a lot to give thanks for. There's a lot to praise God for. And if Christ's introduction in this world came in the physical sense, in the atmosphere and environment of worship and praise, how much more do you believe the risen Christ would come and manifest himself around us in a spiritual way, in a great and glorious way, as the worshipers of God begin to declare the glory of the resurrected Christ? Come on, what do you think? And as we approach this holiday, as we approach Christmas, we remember that coming of Christ, but let's be practicing and preparing and getting ready for the presence of God to be manifest among us in our homes, in our church, in our gatherings, whatever those look like. This has very practical ramifications. I'm about done here, but, but I just want to talk about this just briefly, that, that the practical ramifications of this are important. If, if there is some area of life that we're struggling with, maybe it's fear or pride or anger or lust or whatever struggle there might be, instead of giving in to that struggle, if we instead would begin to turn our attention to God and, and begin to praise Him and worship Him uh, and begin to give thanks to Him, and just you, I, I would like to propose that I believe it's impossible to sin when you're in the middle of worshiping God. Okay? So, so I'm saying you feel like, man, I'm struggling in this area. The answer is not to think about not doing that thing, but instead to think about God and to think about, oh, the awesome presence of God. Just begin to worship Him. Man, if that means you have to go, if you're at work and you say, I need a bathroom break, and what you really mean is I need a praise break. I'm going to go in that bathroom over there and I'm going to go praise God for a little while because I've got to get through this. You understand? Or, or if the kids are around your feet all the time, you, yeah. when you get a moment, just get a chance, right? Just get with God and begin to worship Him in that moment. If you're in a, in a quiet place by yourself and you come across a struggle in your life that just seems like I can't get free from the struggle of sin in my life, and if you would just in that moment say, Lord, I'm just going to turn my attention to you. I, I'm going to sing one of those songs I heard at church. I'm going to just maybe put on some praise music. We're blessed. We can do that. You know what I'm saying? But whatever it is, just get in a place and a heart and an attitude of worship. And then notice that what will happen is that the Lord will come in that attitude of worship. He will show up. When you do that, he will begin to manifest himself in your life and, and you will be seeing a free, freedom come to you through all of that. Worship team, come on back. Presents don't come at Christmas unless someone prepares for it. And we won't experience the manifest presence of God in our life unless we prepare. I believe God is calling us as a church to build a a dwelling for the Lord in our praises, to build a habitation for Him, to dwell in by His power. I want us to expect more of God's manifest presence in our church services. I I think this is just more I've been thinking about this and and just been feeling uh, the Lord has been stressing this in my heart. Um, 
for 2020, for the year ahead, I believe that God, uh, that God wants us to just step into a new arena of worship where we're going to begin to see the manifest power and presence of God in ways we've never seen before. But we can't just live life the way we've been living it. We've got to start pressing in in our private individual lives as well. So we're ready when we come on Sunday. You understand? So I need all of us to be on board for this, for this to, to work the way I believe it's going to. But really to, to help get that kind of sealed in our hearts. And I, I, I don't hope I don't horribly disappoint anybody. But, but as I thought about Christmas Eve this year, um, I felt like instead of that, what I want to do is back it up a few days. So Sunday night, the 22nd, so in other words, we won't be having a Christmas Eve service. I apologize if that bothers you. Um, but instead, we're going to have a night of worship on Sunday night, the 22nd of this month. And so at 6 p.m., there, we may sing a Christmas song or two that night, but it won't be a whole night of Christmas carols and things like that, like maybe you're used to for a Christmas Eve service. But we're going to have a special night of just entering into and spending time in the presence of God. There'll be probably very little talk, if any. There'll be just a lot of worship. Are you okay with that? Will you join me for that? Will you, will you make a time for coming and being there and being a part of that? As the atmosphere of praise and worship ushered in the coming of Jesus Christ at 2,000 years ago, the same is true today. We can usher in His presence. And think about even this. When Moses lifted his hands, you remember this story, and he lifted his hands, the battle was won, wasn't it? When, when praise began to go forth. And, and then when Jehoshaphat was inst- instructed, yeah, we're going to send the choir out instead of the, the warriors. And, and the, the enemy was completely defeated completely defeated and obliterated, and they won the battle simply by worshiping. And even Paul and Silas there in that jail in stocks, midnight, probably hurting and cold and miserable. I can't imagine how that felt. But in the middle of the night, the song began to rise up in them in the worst of circumstances. We think sometimes we've got it bad, but think about it. Think about being in jail with your hands stretched out in stocks and you're, you're stuck and you're, uh, you, you're cold and it's probably damp and, and you've been beaten. And then at midnight, a song rises. <laughs> and they start singing a hymn and a song. And they began, I bet it was a real good tune, probably like that first one we sang today, where it probably got God tapping his toe a little bit because he enjoyed the music so much and a big earthquake took place, you know what I'm saying? Right? And then all of a sudden, this amazing selective earthquake only opens up and the chains fall off and they walk out and they're free. You say, I'm having trouble with, with freedom in my life. Well, get, get into worshiping. Sing some songs at midnight if you feel like you're locked up and tied up in some way. Sing some songs in the hardest places, in the roughest times of your life, and watch the freedom come. Watch the enemy be defeated. Watch the blessings of God come to your life. At the very end of the book, Revelation, it declares to us that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you know Judah's name means? It means praise. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of praise. We're the, the rest of the churches didn't figure it out. We put it on our name just so everybody would know. We are the tribe of praise here. So is all the church across the earth. But, but you understand what I'm saying? And we want that lion to come on our behalf and step into our situation. Victory is coming as we praise Him, believe me. So we're glad that for God's awesome presence that's everywhere, holding the whole universe together, really. And we're glad that as believers we have the abiding presence of God, close and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now in light of those, 
We are setting our hearts to pursue the amazing presence of God where there's, we will experience a tangible touch of God in our corporate worship life and in our private lives as well. Are you ready? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.